Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we chat to senior executives from a range of departments, industries and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello and welcome to this best of episode here on the Business of Data podcast. We're using the magic of AI for this voiceover, as Catherine has lost her voice. Thank goodness for NLP. We will be back next week with Season 10. For now enjoy some clips from Season 9. But listen, you know, the reason I wrote that, uh, you know, making data work, is really that you know, it's a few things. So the first one is, you know, I've been in this trade now, I've been in data for, for quite a long time. And I think, you know, we alluded to it in, in you know, in, in, at the start of this chat that the, really my journey has been a meandering of all sorts of different things going on. But one thing has been consistent in even, even after having experienced 20 something companies internally and maybe 30 something, you know, sort of arm's length is really that, you know, the same issues come up, right? It's just the same frustrations, the same issues, uh, you know, everyone complaining about, you know, everyone excited in some ways about data, but mm. complaining that you're not actually getting what you expect. And it's really interesting. And so that was one of the things I wanted to say, like, here is the frustration that I, I've felt and I've seen people feel. But then I wanted to also come up with the, the those things have actually worked. There's actually shifted from frustration to actually, you know, aha, wow moment. Mm-hmm. Things have, where things have actually worked and what's actually made that happen. Greenfield, a lot of times actually what you're doing is shifting the narrative and shifting the way, the perception around it. That's so one of the key things for me then is really helping us understand what data value actually means. And to be able to do that, you know, and it's really fascinating actually, one of the conversations we had, I've had recently have been really about should you really have a, a, a data strategy over here whilst the organization strategy is over there mm-hmm. and, and really what 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 is essential from my standpoint is that that data strategy is embedded within <laughs> the actual organizational strategy and, and what, what do i really mean by that tangibly is that you know if you look at an organization and you're looking at a strategy that says we're going to grow by x then what's, what's, da- what's data actually contributing to that? Mm-hmm. That's got to be something that is clear, is visible, is measurable. And so if you ask me in 12 months time, I'll be asking you to challenge me as to how much has data actually contributed, physically contributed to yeah. the goals and the, the aspirations, vision of the actual organization. So in terms of the workflow, we had professionally qualified engineers from infrastructure support group out on the ground refereeing sites they fed back their information via the app so automatically back to the geospatial analyst who was based in nhs gold command i think it was luke correct me if i'm wrong and then there was a geospatial corporal who um, did the analysis there set against the criteria that head of nhs simon stevens had given us plugged in with the data that the phenomenal ming tang had NHS uh, and digital analytics um, had enabled us to use. From that, we created products that then Sir Steinman was able to make the decision about where the Nightingale hospitals were. So it wasn't just military collaboration, it was that other government department collaborations that led to a decision that had a national impact. Um, you know, and I think that speaks to a, a specific element of it. 
And then obviously, as you're getting your head around your data and you start understanding where your data assets are and that they are of quality, they're strategic, they're the right data assets, you start moving into more of the analytics domain, right? So now how do you use that to kind of empower and embrace analytics so they're not going all over the place trying to find data for X? You can actually just point them to the right place and kind of make that journey more efficient. And as you do that, again, building blocks like foundation up, right? You start moving to digital transformation, right? So you can actually take the environments that have been built and start to really transform some of your business problems and answer those in a more digitized fashion, right? Going to uh, Alexander's comment about data-driven culture, right? You've got to be able to drive that with quality data and ease of access to data and efficiency. And so bringing all that together enables that uh, digitization and digital transformation. A couple of years ago, um, we looked at all of our objectives and we decided to do a data virtualization proof of concept. And the way it described virtualization internally was it's basically like a logical layer that sits on top of your data and enables you to query across the different data sets then. And that, that felt very relevant to us because we've, we've got data in Azure, we've got data on-premise, we've got data in, in AWS. So, and that data was only increasing across the different cloud environments that we, we had. So we looked at data virtualization as a process, how can we combine our different data sets? So we embarked on a proof of concept and we did a lot of research around who the, the main vendors were in the space. And what we found was that a lot of the leading vendors, they're, they, they're legacy vendors in that they were um, really good for, for working with all the, all, all the traditional types of, of database engines, but maybe not so much some of the newer types of, of data storage, like around storing data on the cloud and different MPP solutions. Really what we're trying to do over the next 12 or 24 months is really trying to make our data mesh platform more mature. We're trying to simplify the platform. We're trying to add a lot more data. We're trying to get the data into a format that's easier for, for our business people to, to access. But when we're, when we're in that place, I think we'll be able to leverage AI and ML a lot more. So we started to have the conversations now around how can we complement our internal data with external data or what analysis can we use across our different data sets to, to, to extract even more insights from our data. And I think it's, I think it's around 80% of time that's been spent on AI and ML projects now are spent within that sort of data wrangling phase, like trying to ETL mm -hmm. source to, to make it accessible for another. I feel like we're doing all that foundational work now with the data mesh so that we'd be able to leverage AI and ML and spend, you know, most of the time within that 20% to try and really extract a lot of value from that. Are you wanting to meet with other senior executives in the data and analytics space? In an environment that is created for connection and inspiration? Then why not join one of our in-person conferences? We have events all over the world, and you can find out the ones closest to you by visiting careniumintelligence.com events. Today, we are seeing so much of our customers finding success in getting that buy-in from exec leadership team and boards when they are impacting um, actual operational decisions in the field and making the entire organization up and down the chain more data-informed, more data-driven mm -hmm. and driving that culture. And just as an example, we've got uh, uh, quite a few customers in the retail industry like Urban Outfitters 
uh, or Samsung, um, you know, Samsung uh, UK, especially the electronics, mm. uh, uh, you know, division of Samsung, which is a big part of their business. Um, just, you know, during COVID and uh, uh, at the, in the early stages of COVID, recognizing that it was important to take action based on real-time events that were happening. For the first 15 years, it was the CIO's uh, priority and it was more about looking back, understanding where the, what, what's happening in the business, what happened. Uh, it was considered back office, a critical back office, um, you know, arsenal for businesses. But then over time, it uh, became important for CEOs as a tool for driving innovation mm -hmm. at, as a core part of businesses. So driving business strategy, in fact, becoming core to business strategy, uh, core to products and services, to productize or serviceize products and so on, right? Um, identifying new markets, identifying opportunities to create new products, um, I, you know, identifying opportunities to reduce risk uh, and take action and so on. So the question is, what is the value? If you're able to paint the picture of what the value is, whether it's um, tangible in terms of um, revenue or it's intangible in terms of efficiencies, you know what, there just has to be a value that the business can connect with mm. and in as much as that can be as clear as possible um, i think it, the journey should be smoother and that's what that's exactly where we are Re literally identifying the business business value now i don't try to identify what the business value value is i actually get the business all right through a questionnaire to tease out where they are where would they would rather be and what they think the solution that I will be bringing to them um, will change for them. So looking at the, the skills shortage in the industry, um, how I, what, what I have done, you know, I mean, when you look out today, um, we don't have enough in the tech space. However, most of most most organizations are trying to grapple for the same set of resources mm -hmm. so there is a there is high traffic it's about who's who's paying more always offering more extra well I'll, I'll be looking to to share some insight about the approach i have taken to actually bring in more like fresh grants and nurture them and give them the opportunity to evolve into the sort of um very very senior or um, talented, or that well, senior people that we, senior professionals that we, we we're looking for across the business. So, uh, and and uh, the thing is, like you know, biologically, our brains have probably not developed much since like twenty thousand years ago. We can still process one thought at a time. Mm -hmm. Our capacity of absorbing and retaining information hasn't substantially changed in twenty thousand years, but the amount of information in the universe had actually grown quite substantially. Social media, uh, unofficial media, official media, uh, uh, market data, all sorts of things. We're getting inundated with this like, you know, incredible volumes of data. And every day there is a new provider who says like, don't I have the most valuable, valuable data set for you? 
And it's like, you, you don't even have time to, uh, in a day to actually figure out like, is that what you need? So, so the problem becomes you have a very, very limited capacity of absorbing uh, information and you have infinite and exponentially growing amounts of data. And how do you jam this incredible volumes into a tiny capacity that our brains can process? So uh, case in point, uh, uh, a lot of companies uh, associated with Russian Federation or associated with, uh, with, uh, with a number of people uh, within Russian Federation mm -hmm. have been sanctioned, are been sanctions, were sanctioned, will be sanctioned, which basically creates a lot of uh, questions. Uh, what can I trade? What do I need to unload from my portfolios? It's not a very obvious thing because this company structure is fairly complicated. It could be something domiciled in the in Netherlands, registered in Cayman Islands. But in reality, it's like, you know, 75% owned by, uh, by, by one of the Russian oligarchs. So, uh, so, so people have to put those uh, 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 trading blocks in their portfolios when those sanctions are announced, as in like in the next 24 hours, as opposed to, hey, can you figure it out and uh, let me know in the next six months when you have it? Yeah. So the notion of having enough data and ability to analyze this data quickly, in other words, you have the answer when the answer is needed, as opposed to uh, taking your sweet time. But much like some of the other organizations I've worked in before, the, the how you got there isn't always so easy to unpick. And so how you get better in a, in a world that's moving faster than it ever was with more information available than ever was available before. Um, how do you succeed? And I think my job is, um, we'll probably talk about evangelism at some point because people always bring up the fact that I call myself a data evangelist. But for me, it's about helping people understand how being better informed, having the right information at your fingertips when you need to make the right decisions. So through the right channels and to the right individual is something that I spend my my entire time trying to pull together mm. through you know engagement with people all across the organization to try and understand their challenges and try and offer them a way that the solutions that I I'm passionate about and that I'm bringing to the organization can help them uh, advance their own agendas and achieve the corporate strategies and then to try and structure you know a talented team and a great technology stack underneath me that's going to help those things um, deliver nailed you absolutely nailed that <laughs> I, I used to talk about it in some of my early presentations. People say, we need to make data-driven decisions. We need to be a data-driven organization. And I always think if, you, if you've understood the business problem, you've captured the right data and you're presenting it in a way that people can understand, there is no data-driven decision-making. There's just common sense because mm -hmm. the answers present themselves out of the data if you've done your job of understanding the challenge and responding to it successfully. So um, yeah, I totally agree with you there. If you're using it on autopilot because you know it, trust it, and the results are, are um, you know, significantly better than you're probably going to achieve by yourself. There is no barrier to adoption there. We hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Do be sure to subscribe and follow the Business of Data podcast wherever you're currently listening to ensure you're always first in line to the latest episode. We'd also appreciate your review as well. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, find us on socials as well as heading over to the Business of Data platform for more forms of great content, including articles, blogs, and video. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you real soon.